I am going to be uh, talking this week, carrying on from really what we were talking about last. And the passage that we looked at is this. I am the Lord, that's my name. I'll not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I will announce them to you. So I'm going to be talking about this morning. I began the little two-part talk last week. And last week I talked about this. Uh, the reason I go to church. And I gave ten reasons why I go to church. On the back of, I am not a natural Christian. On the back of, I am not a natural church goer. I'm not a crowd seeker. I don't particularly like being with people because I don't like people, which is strange that I'm in the pastoral ministry and don't like people. Well, that's just the way I'm designed. In fact, if, the, if I can sit away from everyone, naturally, I'll do that. And at the age of 16, I had an amazing encounter with a living God I did not believe in. And that amazing encounter changed my whole life entirely and still reverbs in my life even now. All of a sudden, I became aspirational. All of a sudden, I became a visionary. All of a sudden, I knew why I'd been born. I knew where I'd come from. I knew what my future was at 16 years of age. I spent 50 years in the ministry, and I'm an expert, really now or should be, on how to do church. And I've applied the how for 50 years. And in my eyes, I've been all right, we've done well, but I failed to ask the question, why? And the question, why do I do church? The question, why do I go to church? Why I believe in God? Why I need God? Why I need a future is so important. So the why is what we were talking about last week. And I gave 10 reasons why I come to church. Based on this, I am a transformed person. I am not the person I was. In fact, today I love people. Today, I enjoy sitting with people. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy caring for people. I enjoy loving people. I prayed not only would God baptize me in the Holy Spirit, but would baptize me in a new love for people. But I have one other reason why I came to church, which makes it 11 reasons. And the 11th reason is probably the most important reason. I come to church still religiously in the hope that one day I will see and experience the glory of God. All my experiences thus far, getting saved at a Billy Graham crusade, getting baptized, in the midst of a big congregation, being filled with the Holy Spirit one evening in a church room, all with God's people. Not privately, all with God's people. 
I want to experience the glory of God together with God's people. We talk about revival. We've had seasons of refreshing. We've had periods of renewal. And generally speaking, statistically, they last at the most five years. I hope and I believe and I desire with all my heart that I'll be around when the final outpouring comes upon the church that will not leave in five years' time but will be here to stay that I will see the glory of God. I pastored a church years ago in Cheltenham. I inherited this church, which was a very lively church and a full church and a growing church, by which time I studied church growth and everything, and I took over the church and thoroughly enjoyed it. But I became very dissatisfied as a pastor in the church, and I even considered giving up for the reason that I thought I'd become a professional. I was good at it, but there was something missing inside. And I went away because of that. And I took with me some leaders because of that feeling. And we went together to a conference. And I'm not particularly a conference person. But in this conference, I had the most outstanding experience at the close of it. When a number of people gathered around me, probably about ten in all. And I saved, baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit called to the ministry, I experienced something that I'd never encountered before. I literally stood in the glory of God's presence in such a way, and it was so surprising that I never wanted to leave. All I wanted to do was not to go home to my family, not to go back to my church, not to get in the car and drive away from this hall. I just said, Lord, take me now if it's as good as this. And I wept and I wept and I wept, I would imagine for about two hours, as I wept all the unbelief out of my system that I didn't even realize was there. And all the professionalism and all the hows and I came back to the why the presence of God and his glory and I went back to that church in Cheltenham the following week and I knew something quite emotionally and quite dramatic had happened to me and quite unusual something I'd never experienced so far and here I was, 30-odd, 40 years of age. How old would we be in Cheltenham Sioux? 37 years of age. And I went back to that church. It was a full congregation. And I preached the worst sermon that I've ever preached in my life. Thinking that I've touched the glory of God. This is going to be dynamic. Nothing. Nothing could be further from the truth. Shocking sermon. Shocking. The music was awful. It was just one of those duff, duff mornings. 
But at the end, I felt I can't let this go. I'm going to ask the glory of God to come. Not expecting anything, because it was duff. And I prayed. And I asked the glory of God to come. And then I invited people, if you wish, not believing anybody would, just come to the front and stand with me. And together, let's ask God to come. And I tell you the truth, row after row after row after row of people got out of their chairs and walked to the front. For the first time, I saw with new eyes the genuine hunger that there is in God's people to know and experience something new and real and authentic. And that meeting that closed at 12 o'clock, did not close at 12 o'clock. We were there until the next meeting for 6.30. The congregation stayed. The glory of God was so great. And I've had moments in my life like that. And that glory stayed, that presence, as I was driving home with my family, in my home, Wherever we went, that glory stayed and stayed for a few years. And then slowly, slowly, Claude appeared. And that sense of glory was gone. Having tasted it, I desire it more than ever. Because I believe this. When the glory comes back to the church, people will come back to church. When the glory of God comes back to church, there will be salvation. When the glory of God comes back to the church, there'll be the miraculous. When the glory of God comes back to the church, there'll be an anointed vision and there'll be an anointed outreach. When the glory of God comes back to the church, the stress and the strains will go and he will become us as we become him. I'm the Lord, that's my name. I will not share, give my glory to another or my praise to idols. For the former things have taken place. Do you remember them? But a new thing I declare. But before they spring into being, I'll announce them to you. The story in the Bible of Eli. So in 1 Samuel chapter 2, here we have the temple of God. Here we have Eli the priest, the priest of Israel, and here we have his two sons and their wives, and they make up the priesthood, the priesthood, a temple for the gathering of people, the very center, the symbol of the heart of God's people, the temple, 
but the priests who will minister upwards and outwards, bringing God to man and men to God. And Eli was the priest, and he was a priest for 48 years, two sons. And he was there as priest and judge to keep the nation right and sweet and to judge with equity and fairly and honesty and integrity. That was his job. And as he handed the jobs over to his sons, they too were there for that reason. And there was supposed to be a line of priesthood that would go through the family line. But one thing, Eli was a good man, but he was a peacekeeper. And his sons were living a completely different life. They're abusing their power and they're abusing their position. And these priests were abusing women in the temple and they're immoral. They're dominating and frightening. And the father knew about it. And he wouldn't call it out. And the prophet of God came to him and said, if you don't do something about this, my judgment will touch your house. And he thought it wouldn't happen. I got the warning, but I'll have a quiet word with my sons. And so I had a quiet word with his sons to no avail. And they carried on. So it was hidden. And one day, God said, I'm over you, and I'm over this. This period will come to an end. And this period came to an end, not just for them, but it came to an end for Israel. And the judgment of God hit that family. And the Assyrians marched in, and there was an almighty battle, and the sons got killed. And as the sons got killed, the message came back to the dad, who was now 98 years of age. And because the message came back to him, he says, how about my sons? And he said, they've both been killed. And he said, what about the ark? The ark of the covenant, the glory of God has been stolen. And he fell from where he was sitting. His neck was broken and he died. And the prophetic word that was brought to them came into being. And one of the wives of Eli's sons was at that time having a baby. And as the baby was born, the Bible says she said nothing and did nothing. And she was just distraught. And when the baby was born, she named it a name. And the name, and this is so important, Ichabod. Ichabod. The glory has departed. And the glory went from the household of Eli. The glory went from their position and from the temple and from the people. And for generations, it was without the glory of God. Jeremiah. God came to Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, 
you stood in the gates. I want you to tell the people that they cannot exist in the way they've been existing. They cannot do what they're doing in my name. I'm going to put a stop to it. I'm going to pause history. I'm going to bring my judgment. Whatever you do, warn them now. Warn them. Go open your mouth and warn them. It'll be a hostile crowd. They'll not want to listen to you. But I'm telling you this. You must remember Shiloh and what happened with Eli. I will do this again. I will not give my glory to another. I will not give my glory to idols. I will not give my glory to what the church has made in terms of religion and the worship of idols. And an idol is something that we place our worth in. That's all. It's something we place our identity and our worth in. If your worth, if my worth is not in the living God, if our identity is not found in the living God, there's an idol in the way. And I will not give my glory to the church when it's finding its worth in something else and its identity in someone else. Jeremiah, tell them, because what I did in Shiloh, I'll do again. I will not share my glory with another. Former things have taken place. We've run successful church. We've gathered groups. We've seen some people come to faith. But the Lord would say, there's a new thing that I want to do amongst you. And I'm declaring it now. God wants his glory, his glory to come back to the church. That means you and me. And who are the priests of today? Not me, not Stephen, not Jim, not a class, not a ruling class, not a family class. The priests and the kings, you and me. You and I are the priests. And God wants to bring his glory to the world through his priests. And to bring the glory through us to the priest, we have got to know his glory. We've got to feel his glory. We've got to experience his glory. We've got to fall down before his glory. We have got to call for his glory. We've got to cry. If we're going to have prayer meetings, we need to pray for the glory of God. We need to pray for the glory of God in such a way that this building will be so filled with the glory of God that we will not need to write out programs and how the service is going to go and how we're going to time it. And that is important. And, I'm not really and we do that now and I do that. But when the glory of God is in the building, God is in the building. And it's his service, it's his meeting, it's his gathering. And you can bask in the glory of God without a word being said, without a sermon uttered, without a song even being sung. Basking in the glory of God. We will be transformed. But in a beautiful way, we will be home. 
we will be the people that we are supposed to be. And the effort and the striving will be out of the door. We'll be God's people. And we will carry that anointing wherever we go. And we will love that anointing wherever we go. When we speak, that anointing will be there. When we sing, that anointing will be there. When we do friendship, the anointing will be there. When we share love, the anointing will be there. As we are intimate with the Holy Spirit, so God will be intimate with us. And so we will be intimate with the world it has placed us in. And the things in the Bible, and I haven't got time to do it, time and time again, that break the anointing is the way that God's people are living. Don't hear many sermons about holiness. Holiness, unholy living, unseparated living, breaks the glory. I will not share my glory, says the Lord, with another. And the promise is this, that I am being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's my growth path. I had a former degree of glory. I was young and I was 16. And I bought good clothes and I was smart and I considered myself good looking. I had a degree of glory that I thought the girls, when I'm let loose, they'll just go wild. My degree of glory. My degree of glory is that I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 32. My degree of glory is a living Christ, the Lord of glory. And I am being transformed from my former degree of glory to another form of glory as we reflect his beauty and his gaze and his smile. The glory of God fills his church and the glory of God fills the earth. One day, we're going to be in heaven. One day, we're going to be there. And you'll see the glory. But I believe with all my heart, and this is why it's difficult to preach about, because it is not tangible. I believe that we can see the glory now. What is the glory? The glory manifest in the Bible. Going right back to Abram. When the Lord spoke to him and he saw the glory, he saw the glory. How can you see the glory? When Moses told the people of Israel crossing the wilderness and they wanted to give up and it's straining and it's hard and it's difficult and they are trudging and they're thirsty and they're losing hope, 
he says, look through the wilderness and see the glory in the cloud. There is something like a cloud that comes from above and descends upon God's people. When the glory of the Lord filled the temple in the Old Testament so the people couldn't stand and the priests couldn't stand, something came into the building. It's the indivisible aura and presence of almighty God. Not a person, not a gift, not a thing, not a miracle. It's the presence of all, it's the cloud of glory that descends upon us. To experience it is absolutely amazing because when it happens, you can hardly stand. It's the weight of glory. The Bible talks about the weight of glory. I want to tell you, church, this morning there is more. So much more for us. So much more. What do we do with church if we don't ask for the glory? What is it all about? Because we're supposed to be going to meet glory. That's our environment in heaven. But the Bible talks about heaven coming down to earth. It's the glory. There's something more than my talent, something more than my voice, something more than my gifting, something more than my knowledge, something more than my identity, something more than my fashions or my likes or dislikes. There's something more than my color schemes. There's something more than my desires. There's something more. And it isn't me. And it isn't my wife. And it isn't my children. And it isn't my home. And it isn't here. There is something more. It's there. Presence of God to come to his church. Can we be the generation that would see it? Can we be the generation that would experience it? Could we be the generation that call it down? The shining of God. Here my glory dwells, my presence, my radiance, my aura, my value, expression of the Alpha and Omega, my power, my majesty, the reflection of God himself, the revelation of truth in Jesus Christ presence and power of the Holy Spirit. This is not church as we know it. Glory means in Corinthians outshining. The outshining of God. I long for the day the reason why I come to church that I will struggle to get through the doors of the building 
because the aura of God is inside. And the heart of every believer is crying for home and for more of God. If we're not crying for more of God, we don't know God. Because he has set in our heart that voice which says more, 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 more. And as we go to heaven, it's the more, more and more. It's not less, 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 it's less. Let's be hungry for more of God. I know this in the Bible, that when God says he wants to do a new thing, firstly, he's got to demolish the old to bring the new in. And that's what he did with Eli. That's what he done through history. He's demolished the old. The old grows weary and weak and filled with their own desire and personas, and it begins to break up. And God allows it to do that. I wonder whether we've been going through nationally a period of the church breaking up. The closures are frightening. The future is frightening. I'm at the end of my life. I don't know what the landscape's going to be in 50 years' time. But in the middle of the breaking up, or towards the end of the breaking, the destroying of the past, God says, I'm going to do a new thing. And that's how the revival broke out in the Bravas. That's how the revival broke out in Wales. That's where the, around the world, revivals break out when the old is broken and he comes in. <laughs>